I tell you, Kid City Live. That's our cast from Kid City Live, and uh, they are going to be back this next Saturday, this Friday night. And uh, if if you're a family with kids, any age, I'm telling you, I come, I laugh more to my grandkids when I come to this thing. But uh, you're doing your family a disservice by not coming. You will have an incredible. It's free. It's an incredible hour you'll have with your kids. You're learning about what they're learning in their classes in Kid City. Things to talk about, incredibly funny and entertaining. We have a talented cast and staff to pull that off. And how about our video team? Just the kind of creative things that they come up with <clears throat> for our simple enjoyment. <clears throat> but I'd encourage you, come Friday night, Kid City Live, but bring a family that maybe doesn't go to church anywhere. So you got to check this thing out at my church. It might be an entryway into them.
beginning a pursuit of a relationship with God. Also this Wednesday night, Hazardous kicks back off. That's our middle school ministry. We'll have about 500 middle schoolers in here Friday night. If you can imagine, it smells like a locker room on Thursday. I'll just tell you, on Thursday. But they're going to be here. And if you have kids who are in middle school, get them here. Let them be a part of it. And it's life-changing for many of those kids. Now, we're in the second week of our series that we're calling Love Different. And what we're learning is that God has called us as Christians to treat other people the way that he's treated us. And last week we saw that, that Jesus, he wants us to be so committed to this principle. This is what he said in Matthew chapter 5 verse 43. He said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, it's like Jesus said, that's what you've heard. But you know, like, there's like there's a new sheriff in town. This is what I say. I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, what Jesus was saying was basically this. Jesus was saying, I want you to love that person who stays up all night trying to figure out ways to make your life miserable. That's what I want you to do. I, I want you to, to treat that ex-spouse. I want you to treat that old roommate. I want you to treat that ex-boss the way that I have treated you. In fact, regardless of who that person is, regardless of what that person has done, this is basically what Jesus said. We learned this last week. If you want to follow me, if you choose to follow me, understand I'm going to lead you to the place in your life where you're actually going to love that person. And I got some interesting feedback from you this week, all kinds of questions and stuff. But basically, that's the foundation. That's the choice. That's the decision we saw last weekend that Jesus wants us to make. Now, unless you've been in a cave uh, the last few days, you know that this past Wednesday was the 50th anniversary uh, of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech that he gave on the mall in Washington. And maybe because of that, someone sent me this quote by Dr. King, and I thought it was a great quote. It says this, I have decided, in other words, he made the choice, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. See, that's a wise man who's making a wise decision, a good choice. Now, whenever I do a sermon, or especially if I do a series on relationships, and I talk about topics such as unconditional love, unconditional forgiveness, this is what I hear over and over again. I'll either get it through email, out under the portico, someone will show up in my office, they'll corner me in Walmart, but this, this is what I get over and over again. Mike, if you knew my story, if you knew my ex-spouse, if you knew my mother-in-law, if you really knew the situation, you would know that I'm an exception to the rule. I get a pass because my situation, Mike, if you knew my situation, you would say, boy, now that I've heard it, you get to sit over here in the pass section. There's no way God expects you to live this principle. That's what people, in fact, a lot of you walked out of here last week thinking, you know, it's easy for Mike to sit up there and say, you ought to love your enemy. Well, I just want you to know something. First of all, I didn't say it. Jesus said it. I would never say it. I don't even think it's a good idea. <laughs> See, this is why I don't write the Bible, you know? So I didn't say it. Jesus is the one that said it. But a lot of people walked out of here last week thinking, I don't care what Mike says. I'm still not sure. I'm still not convinced that this applies to me. And if it does apply to me, I tell you, I am going to need a personal visit from God. I am going to need him to flash up, come down here, look me in the eye, and tell me how this applies to me because I have no clue. I mean, if you could hear my story, I'd get a pass, right? So I decided that before we can make much progress in this series, um, we need to hear your story. So Elizabeth, I'm going to start with you. If you'd come on up here. I'm just kidding, Elizabeth. Wow. <laughs> Look at your eyes, yeah. 
What I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to tell you your story. Uh, actually, I'm going to let the Apostle Paul tell you your story. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. And let me just say, as you're getting over there, uh, I'm gonna go, this is a message for Christians, okay? This is a message for people who've always, already made the decision to follow Jesus. Uh, and if you're not here, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're not there yet, that, that, that means that this is a great weekend for you to be here because I'm not even going to be talking to you. That means you're not going to have to feel guilty about anything. You can just sit back and enjoy it. You kind of get a free pass this weekend. This is just for Christians. But I'm glad you're here because over the next few minutes, you're going to get a pretty good idea of what Christianity is about. But you're going to give an even better idea of what it really means to be in a relationship with God. Maybe you thought, I don't want to be in a relationship with God. He just seems mean to me. Or he just seems judgmental. Or he just seems like he's just waiting for me to mess up so he can let me have it. You're going to get a clear picture this weekend of what it actually looks like and feels like and means to be in a relationship with God. So go on over to the book of Ephesians if you have a Bible. And while you're turning, I need to tell you something about the book that you need to know, you need to understand if you're going to get anything out of what I'm going to talk about over the next few minutes. Understand that the book of Ephesians, it was a letter. It was a letter that Paul wrote to a small group of Christians in the city of Ephesus in the first century. And if you're familiar with the book of Ephesians, there's more information in this book about relationships than any other book in the Bible. See, kids, this is where that dreaded statement occurs. Children, obey. Yeah, children, obey your parents. It's in Ephesians. Uh, it also includes husbands, love your wives, as Christ loved the church. And right now, men go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 my, you got to hear my story. You got to hear why this doesn't apply to me, right? But ladies, it doesn't get any easier because this is where the dreaded S word shows up. Wives, submit to your husbands. And I can hear the brakes and feel, and their wife, no, Mike, if you knew my husband, you got to hear my story. You would know that there's no way this applies to me. All of that stuff and more is in this book. And to be honest, I hate to talk on this stuff because I know you're pretty much just going to leave and ignore me anyway. But understand the Apostle Paul knew exactly how we were going to feel. Our emotional reaction when we heard words like obey and submit and love. And he knew that if we were going to really take to heart any of these truths that God has given us in the book of Ephesians in regard to relationships, we're going to need to understand our story. So at the very beginning of the book, the very first chapter, it's almost as if Paul says, I know you want to tell me your story, but I want you to sit back, I want you to relax, and I want you to listen because I need to tell you a part of your story that maybe, maybe you've forgotten. Or maybe you've overlooked or maybe you never really knew. So understand Ephesians chapter 1, he's kind of setting us up. He's setting the table. He's preparing us for what he's going to say later in this letter about relationships. So let's go back to Ephesians. Look at chapter 1 beginning in verse 3. He says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he begins to list some of these blessings for us. And we're going to kind of blitz through them this morning. But understand, each one of these blessings, each one of these points, it could be a series in itself. But we're going to kind of blitz through. But he begins by saying this. And again, he's talking to Christians. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Then he says this, in love he predestined us. Let's stop right there. What does that mean? That means that before you were born, 
That means that before the world was even created, if you were a Christian, you were chosen by God. You were predestined by God to be his child. And don't ask me to explain it because I don't fully understand it. And anyone who tells you they do fully understand it is lying. I would just tell you that. It's because God's mind is infinite. Our minds are limited. They're finite. We can't always understand God and how he does and what he does. But basically this is what it says. Before creation, before the world ever existed, somehow God pictured us and said, I want you and you and you and you and you. I'll take him and her. I'll take that one and that one and that one. And he says, I am going to God-proof those people. I am going to change them in such a way that they're going to be able to spend eternity with me. I'm going I'm, I'm to I'm make them perfect. I'm going to make them holy. They can't, they can't do that themselves. They can't make themselves perfect and holy. I am going to God-proof them. And then he continues in verse 4. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. In other words, he's going to adopt you. You're not going to just be a part of a club. You're not just going to be a part of a church. You're going to be a part of a family. And it's because God made the choice. God made the decision to adopt you. Now understand, adoption in the Greek world was a lot different than adoption in our world. In our world, people adopt children, infants, small children. Basically, the way it's gotten in our society, if you have enough money, you can buy a kid. That's pretty much what it's come down to, right? But we usually go for an infant, a baby. Sometimes we'll negotiate with the mom before she even has the child. That's what it's like in our culture. But in that day, in the first century, in the Greek world, people adopted adults. Now, how cool would that be? I mean, you could wait till a kid graduates from high school, check out their GPA, and say, okay, I'll take him, you know? Or even better, you could wait till some girl graduates from med school and say, she's mine, I, I got her. See, it was a much, much better system. But this is the picture. Paul says, I want you to understand as Christians, before you took your first breath, God decided to adopt you into his family. That means that you have the right of access to God. You don't need to go through a priest, you can go directly to God. It means you have the right of companionship. It gives you the promise of compassion. It gives you this sense of belonging. I belong to the God of the universe. But understand, you were chosen not based on anything you've done or would ever do. You were chosen to be in an intimate relationship with God. But it gets even better in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood. The word redemption, whenever you see it in the Bible, basically it means this. God bought us back. It's this picture that we were enslaved, we were in bondage to sin, and God purchased us. That's the picture. That's what God did. He saw us up on the auction block. He saw us in our chains and our shackles to sin. And basically God says, I don't care what the price is. I will outbid the highest bidder. I want him. I want her. I want that person. In verse 7, it says, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of of our sins. And so as he's listing these benefits, he says, I want you to know he also forgave us our sins. By the way, this happened. God forgave us of our sins before we even sinned. Before you ever sinned the first time, God decided, I am going to forgive this person of every sin they will ever commit. He knew all the broken promises that we would make. He knew every time we would get ourselves into a situation and say, well, God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I promise I'll never do this again. And we would turn right around and do it again. He knew every time we were going to do that. And knowing all of that ahead of time, God said, I'm going to forgive them anyways. 
It says in verse 7, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Look at this. That he lavished on us. We talk a lot about grace around here. It basically means this. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. And this is a picture of God getting the biggest bucket that he could find and just filling it up with his grace and then just drenching us with his grace. In other words, we didn't get a little bit of what we didn't deserve. He lavished it upon us. He gave us every spiritual blessing. He, he, he gave us forgiveness regardless of what we've done. He purchased us off the, the, the slave block of sin regardless of the cost. He said, I am just going to love these people. I am just going to lavish my grace on them. Verse 9, and he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. And, and so Paul said, not only did he do all this stuff, he told you about it. He even had people write the Bible so we would know in the big scheme how it's going to end up. I mean, there's no mystery whatsoever. Paul makes it very clear in several of his writings. One day, Jesus is going to come back and he's going to judge this earth. And then he's going to destroy this earth by fire. And then he's going to recreate it back to its original splendor. I mean, I do the recycling like you guys. I have my little recycling trash can. I do all that. But I'm not too crazy about it because, you know, I figure if God's going to destroy it all by fire anyway, what's a few plastic bottles and styrofoam cups? You know what I'm saying? In the big scheme of things. But God is going to destroy it. Then he's going to recreate it. And he's going to set up his kingdom on this earth. And he's going to remove all the sin. All the sorrow, all the pain, all the death. And those of us who are his children, those of us who follow his son, Jesus Christ, we will get to live forever on this new earth with God. I think a lot of us think, oh, having, you know, wings and playing a harp. I have to play the box because I, I can't play a harp, right? We, and we're just going to float around and, and sit on clouds. No, heaven's going to be this earth that God is going to recreate to its original beauty. I mean, as a Christian, that's what God has chosen for you. But it gets even better, verse 13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, get this, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Let me tell you what that means. Once you put your trust in what Jesus Christ did for you through his death, his burial, his resurrection... Once you realize that you're lost, that you're, 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 you're hopelessly separated from God, and the only way that you can have a relationship with God, the only way you can be reconciled back to God is through what Jesus Christ did through his death, burial, and resurrection to pay and cover the price for your sins. And once you accept that, once you uh, appropriate into your life what Jesus Christ has done, at that moment you are saved. God saved you. And the minute that you're saved, the Holy Spirit moves into your life. And according to Paul here, the Holy Spirit, it's like a seal that God sees. Not a or, 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 not that kind of seal, okay? We're talking like, like a stamp of approval. And the Holy Spirit, it's a deposit. It's a reminder to us of what God is doing and what God is going to do in our lives. Every time we're convicted when we sin. Every time we're comforted by the Holy Spirit when we're hurting. Every time the Holy Spirit comes along and gives us some insight into some biblical truth and it finally clicks and we realize what it means in our life. It's a reminder of all that God has done and all that he's going to do in our lives. It's a reminder that our sins have been wiped away. It's a reminder that we have an inheritance. It's a reminder that we have a future. It's a reminder 
that we will live with God in his perfect kingdom forever and ever and ever. Are you guys awake? Are you getting this? This is good preaching. Doesn't happen very often. Take a note or two, okay? Now here's the question. Do you have any idea why God did all of that for you? Do you know why? Let me show you. It's right here in the passage. Look back at verse 5. He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance to his pleasure and will. Verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In other words, the purpose of his desire. Let's go back to the question. For those of us who are Christians, do you understand, do you know why God did all this for us? Just because he wanted to. Just because he wanted to. It's not a reflection of anything good in us. It's not a reflection of anything that's ever happened or ever will happen in our lives. It's because God says whatever it takes, whatever it takes, even to the point of the death of my son, whatever it takes, I am going to have them as my own. They will be my children. They will live with me forever. And as Christians, he provided it all just because he wanted to. I mean, isn't that an incredible thought? And wouldn't it be a shame if you lived your entire Christian life and all of these truths we just talked about, they just kind of remained words on paper, just theology, but they never really connected with your heart. They never really connected with your emotions. But can you, can you imagine what would happen to your outlook on life if these truths that we just blitzed through touched down in your life at an emotional level. I mean, just think about this. What if it ever connected with your emotions? Even though he knew all the bad stuff I was going to do, he still chose me. Even though he knew all the times I was going to get in trouble, he chose me. Even though he knew all the times I was going to sin after I became a Christian, he chose me. He chose to forgive me. He chose to make me his child. He chose to give me access to him. And right now, some of you are thinking, well, my great theological lesson today, you know, good weekend to do it because all the shallow people are at the beach and just the really spiritual people are here anyway. You know what I'm saying? Great weekend. But I have no idea, Mike, what in the world does this have to do with relationships? What in the world does this have to do with me loving the person who hurt me, the, the, the love, loving my enemy? What does it have to do with that? I have no idea. I'm just kidding. I do have an idea. This is, this is it. If this ever touched our lives at an emotional level, if this doctrinal theological truth, if it ever got from here to here, it would revolutionize our perspective on every person around us. It would revolutionize how we approach relationships. But until we feel the emotion of these truths, until they grab our heart, in other words, until what God has really done for us, that part of our story becomes a heart thing, we will never, ever able 
be able to consistently return good for, e good for evil. Until it touches our heart, we'll never be able to consistently return love for hate. For hate. We'll never consistently be able to return acceptance in the face of rejection. But if it ever grabs our heart, if our emotions ever get wrapped around of what God has really done for us, when Jesus comes along and says, hey, I want you to love your enemies, we'll say no problem. Hey, kids, I want you to obey your parents. No brainer. Hey, listen, I want you to submit to one another in love. Well, that's no big deal. Shoot, Jesus, after all you've done for me, what could you possibly ask me to do that would cause me to hesitate? So what Paul is saying in Ephesians 1 is this. If you can ever understand at a heart level what God has done for you in your past, it will shape your future. It will change your perspective on your relationship with others. But as long as it just remains as concepts on a page, just words, just theology, we're going to miss out. In fact, that's why Paul concludes. Look at verse 18. He says this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Paul says, before I, I get into all this relationship stuff that I'm writing you about, he says, my prayer for you as a Christian is that you will have one of those aha moments when the light comes on and it finally clicks so that your heart will be overwhelmed with all that God has done for you. And when that happens, you see, when it comes time for you to finally get the chance to tell your story, you know what you'll say? Oh, never mind. Never mind. In light of what God has done for me, it's really not that important. It's really not that big of a deal. Now, what have we learned from Ephesians chapter 1? Let me just give you three simple things that I've learned. First of all, we learned this. There's more to our story than we remember. You know, we have five goals here at Hope. And we basically say these are just measurements. The, if, if, you're, if you're moving toward these goals, your life is being transformed. You, you are starting to look like a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and what would that look like? We, we say, first of all, live what, they, live what we learn. You just learn to obey God's teaching. When, when you see God's word, a principle, a precept, a truth, you don't say, oh, I don't want to obey that. I don't like that. That doesn't really work for me. No, you live what you learn. As you hear God's truth, as you're exposed to it, you bring your life into conformity with his word. Second, you serve where you're gifted. You see, when the Holy Spirit showed up in your life, he also brought with him spiritual gifts that he gave you. Everybody has at least one. Maybe you have two or three. And we want you to discover those spiritual gifts so that you can serve for the betterment of the body. So the betterment of God's kingdom in this world. We want you to do that. Here's the third one. Give of your resources. Give from your resources. We believe that you, could, you should connect your finances with God's kingdom and what he's doing in the world. That's, that we want you to get there. The fourth one is connect with others. We want you to be in community with other people. Here we do it through small groups. And if you've never done it, you can just hit the connect button on our website or our phone app and, and we can help you get connected. But we believe that life change really takes place in an environment where we're rubbing sharing life with other people. And then the fifth one is this, it's share your story. 
We want you to get to the place where you can tell someone, this is what Jesus Christ has done for me. This is how Jesus Christ has changed my life. And let me tell you why this is so important. People can deny the existence of God. They can deny the accuracy of God's word, but they have the hard time deny, a hard time denying a changed life. I mean, they have to ask, how did that happen, right? So we want you to share your story. Now, let me tell you something. No one has ever come to my office and said, Mike, I'd love to share my story with you. It began before the creation of the world. God chose me, forgave me, saved me, lavished his grace upon me, and provided eternal life for me. That's, no one's story ever begins there. When people come to my office, do you know where their story begins? Do you know where your story would begin? You would start with the part where you were mistreated. Or you would begin your story where you were ripped off. Or your story would begin where he walked out on you or she walked out on you. Or maybe your story would begin with your dysfunctional parents who are still somehow caught up in the 70s and can't get out of it. Or, or maybe it's what happened at work or that lawsuit that went against you. But it would start with you, 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 you. And maybe as a Christian, maybe, maybe if all, that's all there was to your story, maybe you would get a pass from loving your enemy. But what we're learning this weekend is that there's more to our story than we often remember. And so when we begin to put our traumas together, together with the rest of our story of what God has done for us, see what happens is in the big picture, it begins to diffuse the energy. It kind of diffuses the intensity of what we have a tendency to focus on. And all of a sudden, because the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, we're able to find within ourselves not only the ability, but the desire to move into, into those arenas of rejection, to move into those arenas of hurt, that arena of abandonment or abuse and betrayal. And we're able to love as we have been loved. So the first thing we learn is that there's more to our story than we remember. Second thing we learn from Ephesians 1 is this. We get a really clear picture in this chapter of how God deals with people. And again, this is especially important for those of you who don't have a relationship with God. Because you probably have an image of him that's not very favorable. And that's why you don't want to be in a relationship with him. But look what, what, what we learn in this passage. First of all, we, we notice that God offers us what we need. That's pretty cool. Second, he offers us what we don't deserve. Third, he doesn't retract his offer when it's refused, it's the old, you know, God knocking. It's like God wants to have a relationship with everybody. Hey, hey, hey you. You're in high school. You want to be in a relationship? No, nah, I'm having fun. All right. So God keeps knocking. Get to college. Hey, you're in college. Want to have a relationship? Oh, no. I'm having a great time now. I mean, I thought high school was fun. Okay, I'll catch you later. Hey, you're married. Want to have a relationship? No, I'll just get my feet under in this marriage. Not ready for that yet, God. Hey, you have kids now. Want to be in a relationship? No, not yet. Life's good. Hey, I noticed you have a middle schooler. Want to be in a relationship? Yes! <laughs> I'm ready. You know. He just keeps knocking. He doesn't retract his offer when it's refused. Here's the fourth one. God doesn't make us pay him back. He offers us his salvation. We get all free and clear. He gets ripped off. He doesn't complain about it. And here's the fifth one. When necessary, God lays down his life for us. Now, if you're a Christian, I want you to look at those things. 
He offers us what we need. He offers us what we don't deserve. He doesn't retract his offer when it's refused. He doesn't make us pay him back. And when necessary, he'll even lay down his life for us. Let me ask you a question. You see that, does it make you want to say, God, how in the world could I have been so selfish? How in the world, God, after all you've done for me, could I be so caught up in my hurt, my pain, my rights, my expectations? I mean, does it sort of clear the way for you to begin to think differently about the people around you? Are you starting to get a clearer picture where God wants to take you in your relationships? Because, you see, this is what he did for you just because he wanted to. And God's almost like saying, because this is what I did for you just because I wanted to. This is how I treated you. Now, I just want you to, I want you to treat the other people in your life that way. Here's the third thing we learned, and it's by implication. I'll say more about this next week. At the cross, we lose our right not to love our enemies. In other words, when we accept what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, knowing our lives, our sin, our issues, at that point, we pretty much lose our right not to pursue relationships with the people who have hurt us. In fact, let me just say this in closing. If you're here as a Christian and you're all hung up on justice and you kind of think everybody ought to get what he or she deserves, then I'm just going to tell you, you won't follow Jesus where he wants to take you because he's not all hung up on that. If as a Christian you're all hung up on what's fair, you're not going to follow Jesus where he wants to take you because he's not all hung up on that. If you're a Christian and you're all hung up on your rights, I have my rights. If you're all hung up on getting even or getting what you deserve, you're not going to follow Jesus where he wants to lead you. Because I'm just telling you, he's not all hung up on that. But if a Christian, as a Christian, if your heart's desire is to be a child like your father in heaven, if your heart's desire is to be the person that God has called you to be, then through what God has done for you, it's going to inspire you to go there with the people in your life. But that will only happen once you can get a heart's view of all that God has done for you through Jesus Christ. Because at the cross, all of those excuses just melt away. Right now, some of you are thinking, <laughs> well, Mike, that may work for some people. And that may really work well for ministers, Mike. I'm glad that's working out for you. But you know what? It won't work for me. You, you just don't know my story. But if you're a Christian, I would have to humbly respond. <laughs> oh, yes, I do. Here's your story. You were on your way to hell. And God, because of his mercy, saved you just because he wanted to that's your story and let me just say this if you're here this weekend and you haven't made the decision to follow christ let me tell you that could be your story that could be your story in fact i would really encourage you one of the great opportunities we have here at hope is called starting point it's a it's, a, it's an environment where 10 12 people get together and talk about what does it mean to have a relationship with god 
What does a life of faith look like? You can ask the hard questions. How do we know the Bible's true? How do we really know that there's a God? And in a safe environment, you're going to get to talk about, among other people who are also searching, maybe some who've just crossed over the line, about what it really means to be reconciled back to God. You can check that information out. It's on our website. It may be life-changing for you. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for just the reminder that while we were yet sinners, you gave your most priceless possession to die for us, your son, Jesus Christ. And we just take that so for granted. We forget all that you did for us and we just get so consumed in that, this little 70, 80 years that we have on this earth. We get so wrapped up in our rights and what we deserve. And we forget how you laid aside your rights and what you deserved to be in a relationship with us. Father, I realize this, we got a long way to go on this journey and we're only into the second week and I know some people are thinking, I can't do this, I'm just, I'll come back in November, right? But God, we're laying the foundation. We have to understand this stuff or it makes no human sense why we would love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. So I pray that our hearts will be open and receptive to not what I'm saying, but to your word, realizing that you love us, you chose us before the creation of the world, and you have nothing but our best interest in mind. That's where you're leading us. That's where you're taking us. May we be obedient. In your name we pray. Amen.